Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. My throat is a lot better than last week where I could barely speak. Still not great, but much better. We're broadcasting today from Los Angeles, the third most important centre in the world for entrepreneurs, startups, angels, VCs and incubators. Silicon Valley and Tel Aviv were number one and two. And Silicon Beach, which is what we call Los Angeles, is number three. The Bob Pritchard Radio Show is heard every week in 60 countries around the world. And we're proud to be the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. It seems that for the past few years we've been talking about the major disruptions that have taken place throughout the established business world and the beneficial effects they're having. Much of our focus has been on the likes of Uber, Airbnb. Then a few weeks ago we spoke with Paul Scott about the looming changes that will occur as a result of the electric vehicles in the short term and autonomous vehicles in the medium term. Things like the increasing reduction in the number of gas stations, reduction in the number of auto repair shops, the reduction in the number of parking spaces that will be required, Um, reduction in the number of parts manufacturers and so on. Um, It's it's quite extraordinary. I think um, Paul was saying that... um, we will almost halve the number of parking spots we need and that each parking spot costs the community, I can't remember the number, but some astronomical number. So the savings just in parking places, providing parking places alone will be astronomical. Um, Another industry that certainly deserves a major disruption is the banking industry. We touched on this a few weeks ago, but that's on its way. The big banks are fat They're lazy. They've taken us for granted and ripped us all off for far too long. Now, millennials are increasingly turning to digital banking channels to perform their banking, and they're visiting the banks less and less often. I bank at Chase, and they've got a substantial size branch in my suburb with progressively fewer employees and even less people visiting the branch. I asked a local manager a few weeks ago how many people under 35 that come into the branch and he told me that it was negligible. You go into the branch and for eight of the nine hours or whatever they're open, there's nobody in the place. The behaviours and preferences of this generation, millennials, which makes up 26% of the US population and 34% of the employed population, will shape the future of of banks as well as the relationship between the bank and the customer. As third parties increasingly provide the services that consumers are using to manage their finances, the valuable relationship between banks and their customers will continue to deteriorate. To better understand what the future of the banks is going to look like, business intelligence surveyed millennials that is, people from the ages of 18 to 34, on their banking behaviours and their preferences, including their preferred banking devices, 
what actions they perform on those devices and how often they perform them. Four findings that I found interesting were, firstly, the bank branch will become obsolete. It'll only be a very few short years before they're gone, but improving online channels, declining branch visits, and the rising cost per transaction at branches are forcing branch closures. Secondly, banks that don't act fast fast enough to dramatically change how they do business are going to lose their customers. Consumers are increasingly opting for superior digital banking services provided by third-party tech firms. This is disrupting the relationship between banks and their customers, and banks are losing out on branding and cross-selling opportunities. They're screwed. For many banks, their products are going to get further commoditized, and that ain't good. Thirdly, the ATM is becoming a bit like the phone booth. ATMs have low operational costs compared to branches, and Customers like them, and that's made them an attractive substitute for tellers. But mobile payments and mobile point-of-sale adoption by small retailers will lead to a rapid decline in cash and and cheque transactions, making the ATM irrelevant in the same way that public phone booths disappeared as people adopted mobile phones. Fourthly, the smartphone will become the foundational banking channel. As a primary computing device, the smartphone has the potential to know much more about customers than human advisors do. And they might even care more as well. The smartphone goes everywhere its user goes, has the ability to collect user data, can be used 24 hours a day, and can be used for all manner of purchases. Therefore, the banks that will endure will be those that offer banking services optimised for the smartphone. Digital channels, particularly the smartphone, will become the foundation of the financial services customer relationship and the huge unwieldy banks will have to demonstrate that they are as flexible, as creative, as customer-centric and as efficient and low cost as their tech competition. Unfortunately, none of this is in the bank's DNA. So my prediction is that the big banks are too big that are too big to fail are going to do just that. They're going to fail. And for my measure, it won't be before time. Here are some more great news for startups. Publicist Group, the French advertising agency is celebrating its 90th anniversary with the launch of a fund and mentorship program that is expected to raise tens of millions of dollars for 90 startups. Publicis is setting aside $11 million for its Publis 90 project and will invest between $10,000 and $500,000 in each of 90 startups that it selects. That might not sound like a lot compared with the big venture capital funds, but Publicis is calling upon clients, partners and media companies to match each investment, so 500,000 could soon turn into millions. 
to take part, startups from any industry around the world need to submit the, their idea to a dedicated website. Um, the publicist's employees will then vote for the startups they think best deserve the awards and all projects will be submitted anonymously. Some words are hard to say. The startups with the most likes will then be assessed by a regional jury of publicist executives and partners who will draw up a short list before the final selection is made. In addition to funding, the 90 winning startups will receive a year of mentorship from Publicis Senior Management in the areas of marketing, communications, management and technology. Also participating is Iris Capital, a VC joint partnership between Publicis Group and, te and telecommunications company Orange, and they'll provide business advice. What a great idea. In another piece of news I heard on Bloomberg, Bloomberg, the 90 startups will be invited to participate in a new tech expo and conference that Publicis is launching in partnership with Group Le Echo called Viva Technology Paris, which will take place from June 30 to July 2, 2016. And they believe that um, Viva Technology Paris will become a landmark event standing out from the likes of CES, Web Summit and TechCrunch Disrupt. So they're all very exciting initiatives for entrepreneurs and we can only hope that a lot more corporations back publicists and follow their lead. I just saw a segment on the news about how hard it is for many college graduates to get a job. Contrary to much of the publicity that you see, unemployment for college grads is really only about 4%, but still 4% is 4%. So let's assume that up-and-comers go to business school and they do that to learn about business, management, leadership and entrepreneurship. Let's just assume that. I'd argue that you're way better off learning all that through real-world experience and from mentors have accomplished what you aspire to rather than from a bunch of academic researchers who have not actually had a real job in their lives. I gave a presentation a couple of years ago at um, Stockholm University and uh, students told me afterwards that they learnt more in two-hour presentation than they did in four year years of business school because what they learnt from me was real and it was totally different than what their um, – no business experience academic professors told them. So there's a lot of advantages to learning your trade in the real world. And if you look at the great entrepreneurs of our time, if you look at Branson, Ellison, Jobs, Gates, um, Zuckerberg, to name just a few, there's not a single degree among them, let alone a business degree. Not a degree. Branson, Ellison, Jobs, Gates, Zuckerberg, no degrees. And if you look at Bezos, Buffett, Grove, Kelleher, Jack Ma, Elon Musk, Larry Page, Fred Smith, they've all got degrees, but not one of them's got an MBA, none. 
got engineering degrees, they've got all sorts of degrees, but they haven't got an MBA. Interesting enough, neither's the father of modern management, Peter Drucker. He doesn't have an MBA either. But, you know, if you're hell-bent on getting that piece of paper, I'm sure it'll look great on LinkedIn, but I don't think it's really going to do you that much good. It's probably equivalent to having a... um, a patrol leader's badge on your wall. That's about it. If you're not yet a member of the American Institute for Sales, Marketing, Management, which is the premier organisation for business in the US, and you're serious about improving your skill level, your status and your network, you should join today. Go to AISMM.US and join now. My guest today, you'll know from CNN, where he's a regular fixture. Van Jones is a great guy, very down to earth, humble beginnings. He's an environmental advocate. He's a civil rights activist and he's an attorney. His first book, The Green Collar Economy, won a Nautilus Book Award and reached number 12 on the New York Times bestseller list. Time magazine named Van one of its heroes of the environment. Fast Company called him one of the 12 most creative minds. And in 2009, he was appointed by President Obama to the newly created position of Special Advisor for Green Jobs. More important than all of that, CEO is the, Van is the CEO of Yes We Code, teaming up with major technology partners, celebrities like Steve Wozniak and Prince, and political leaders to promote the goal of training 100,000 low-opportunity youth to become high-level computer programmers. That's an incredible goal. And we've teamed up with them from AISMM to help them achieve it. So I'll be back with Van immediately after this break on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Now, over the last four years, we've given you the insights 
into the lives of over 250 of the world's most interesting people, what they do and what makes them tick. It's extremely difficult to create a successful business and we all need all the help that we can get and that's why it's so important for us to have mentors and to take on board the advice that gets provided to us by successful people. And business today, to a large degree, which is a, and this is a big change from the future, from the past, is judged by their corporate citizenship. Consumers expect business leaders and corporations to give back to their community. And uh, research shows that companies that do get involved in the community do have a great deal more success than those who are seen to be just taking. Now, one guy who certainly gives back is today's guest. Van Jones is a very accomplished guy. He's probably very familiar to you on CNN. Every time I watch CNN, which is regularly, he's popping up there. And uh, he's a regular guest on political talk shows. He's a globally recognized, award-winning pioneer in human rights and the clean energy economy. Van is the president and co-founder of Dream Corps, whose current initiatives include Cut 50, hashtag Yes We Code, and Green For All. All of these projects create innovative solutions to close the prison doors, open the doors of opportunity into a new green economy. And we all know how critical that is to the future of the planet as well as the future of the economy. Van's a Yale-educated attorney. He's written two New York bestsellers, The Green Collar Economy, The Definitive Book on Green Jobs, and Rebuild the Dream, A Roadmap for Progressives. In 2009, Van worked as a Green Jobs Advisor to the Obama White House. There he helped run the interagency process that oversaw $80 billion in green energy recovery spending. Now, I've just been appointed Honorary President of the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management, which is the premier organisation for pretty much anyone in business. And we've teamed up with Yes We Code to help them fulfil their amazing dream. Hi Van, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I'm glad to be on the show. Um, it seems that every few minutes you're on CNN, so I really do appreciate you taking the time to join me. I guess it's a pretty hectic um, political season right now. Well, it certainly is. Um, not only do you have uh, both candidates trying to figure out who's going to be their nominee for president uh, with you know, no incumbent, yeah. uh, you also just have a whole host of social issues from, from uh, gun safety to uh, police uh, community relationships to uh, the climate uh, some of it just happens, so there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, there is. But let's talk. Let's talk about um, Yes We Code, um, which is a national effort to connect a hundred thousand, hundred thousand disadvantaged youth from African American, Latino, and Native American communities, and connect them with high-level careers in technology. That's a tremendous initiative and extremely bold and uh, very challenging, I'd imagine. So how are you going about getting 100,000 people qualified, who were disadvantaged, qualified to um, uh, connect with 
high-level careers in technology? Well, um, we, we launched this initiative um, almost two years ago. Uh, we now have partnerships with uh, 13 top technology companies, including uh, Twitter and uh, Pinterest and uh, Salesforce.com and others. And what we discovered is that um, this problem is actually bigger than we knew. Um, in the next eight years, uh, the technology sector in the United States is going to come up about a million workers short. They need about 1.4 million more workers, not just Silicon Valley, but Austin, Boston, all these different technology hubs, all together, according to the Department of Labor, need about 1.4 million more workers. The college system that we have is only going to produce about 400,000 uh, people with computer science degrees, so that's about a million workers shortfall. We decided to take on 10% of that, 100,000, and try to make sure that that 100,000 that we took responsibility for uh, represented America, female, um, also African American, Native American, as you said, Latino, some underrepresented Asians, so that the next uh, growth uh, in the technology sector looks more like America. And it's, it's been a very, very exciting um, process uh, because we have those partnerships. Uh, we have pre-agreements from those technology employers to place what we call apprentices uh, they, they're, they're above interns, but they're below um, uh, of hires, um, but they get a chance to get in there and prove themselves uh, that they are job ready. And then to get them job ready, uh, we've reached out in two different directions. On the one side, we're reaching out to community colleges who know how to reach a very diverse population. Community colleges have you know every kind of a person in there, but they don't always teach the right stuff. Um, meanwhile, the boot camps, these more elite uh, technology boot camps, they teach the right stuff, but they sometimes only reach a very um, monochromatic, shall we say, population. So we've gotten the, the best of the boot camps together with the community colleges. So now those who know how to teach but don't know how to reach are helping those who know how to reach but don't know how to teach, and we've got a pipeline going. And that is uh, going to be how we solve this problem, bringing new educational institutions to bear, um, and making sure we're, we're tapping into communities where genius is going untapped. Well, why the, I know I know this is a hundred thousand is a big number, but why stop at a hundred thousand? Before we get to that, I guess the most important thing is who's who's paying for this? I mean, you're, you're raising money, obviously, but it, it, is the corporate sector adding? Um, contributing to this financially, and, and is the government contributing financially? Right now, we've been relying mainly on uh, uh, philanthropic donations from individuals um, as well as from foundations. Uh, we do expect that once we've proven the model that both the government and the corporate sector will be willing to pay uh, for a great, great outcome. Uh, but right now, if, if people want to be supportive, uh, yeswecode.org uh, is, is the site. You can learn more about us there. Um, but, you know, 100,000 is a lot. Uh, you know, most of these efforts try to get 20 or 100 or maybe 1,000. We're the only uh, effort in the country that's trying to aggregate uh, enough uh, employers and educators that we could get to 100,000. And we'll just have to trust that the other 900,000 that the, the tech sector needs, they'll figure it out on their own. Well, the tech sector, the tech sector um, are making very substantial, well, most of the tech sector are making huge profits. Um, you'd think it would be in their best interests to try and bridge that, um, that hundred thousand, that million three gap or whatever it is. Um, 
by putting more into training Americans for those jobs rather than having to bring them in from overseas or wherever? Well, you know, it's a problem that a lot of people are talking about, but, you know, as you know with most things, uh, the talk and the actual, um, you know, getting from describing the problem over and over again to describing a solution and implementing it, that's a very long walk, and so we're not waiting for them to figure it out. The, uh, The other challenge, I think, is that, you know, often if you talk to people in the tech sector, on the one hand, they say, geez, you know, we sure wish we had more women, more people of color, et cetera, but I think deep down they feel like, well, it's really, if it's not broke, broke why fix it? We, we are making a ton of money. Uh, people keep downloading our apps. Um, you know, maybe it's, it's politically correct to talk about the need for diversity, but we don't necessarily feel that we're suffering that much uh, at this point. And I think that um, what that analysis overlooks is um, y- you don't know uh, how much more money you would be making if you had many, many more kinds of minds trying to solve a problem. There was a great example. A big tech company was trying to figure out how to recharge wearables, um, which is the next big thing in electronics. And, um, you know, jewelry, this type of thing. And the engineers just couldn't figure out, well, where are you going to plug in an, an earring? We just can't figure it out. And a female engineer who had not been a part of the conversation happened to overhear it. And she just said, well, do any of you guys wear jewelry? And none of them actually wore jewelry. Yeah. She said, well, listen, most women, when they take off their jewelry at night, they put it in a bowl. Why don't you have the bowl be the recharger? And that, that instantly solved a problem that all of the male engineers were stumped by just because you had a slightly different perspective on the problem in the room. Yeah. And so we're saying, you know, they're, they're, when you leave out uh, you know, genius, uh, you, leave, you, you leave out a, a chance to make a ton of money. So both quantitatively they need more people, but qualitatively they need more kinds of people, and we're working on that. Yeah, it seems to me that um, Silicon Valley, well, not only Silicon Valley, but um, you know all of the tech hubs, they all pay a lot of lip service to um, equality and diversity, but they actually don't follow through. I mean, you've only got to look at the number of women on boards of tech companies, or I think something like 75% of all the people employed in Silicon Valley in the, by the tech companies are all um, are all men. So there's, yeah. there's lip service, but not much follow through. Well, and, and that's part of the thing is that uh, we just wanted to come forward with an answer. Yeah. Uh, sometimes people are defending the status quo. Sometimes people are attacking the status quo. Uh, we just believe if you have a great answer and a great solution, you know, the fighting and defending can stop and the implementing can begin. Yeah. And so we, we've got a, our first test case of just a, a small handful, a couple of dozen uh, young adults, mostly young adults of color from Oakland, going through a three- to six-month training process. They will be placed later this year as apprentices, and we will see how they fare. But we believe that once these apprentices from Oakland uh, get through this process, you know, we're very quiet about it. We're just going to you know, move them through. Uh, that that everybody's going to want some. It's going to be. It's going to go from well, I don't, you know, know if I have a problem. Well, now I know I've got a problem, but I'm not solve it. To hey, I want some of that. Yeah. And uh, and we and we feel like that's the best answer. So. What inspired you to start Yes We Code? Did you wake up one morning at 2 o'clock in the morning and thought, Aha, I've got this brilliant idea. How'd it come about? Uh, you know, I wish it was like that. Um, <laughs> uh, I happened to, to be blessed with a, a friendship with a, a rock star named Prince 
that uh, a lot of people have heard of. Prince. And uh, he and I were, yeah. Um, and uh, he and I were, were having a discussion after the Trayvon Martin yeah. tragedy. And, uh, you know, he was pointing out, well, you know, so often when people see a, a black kid wearing a hoodie, yeah. they automatically jump to the negative conclusion, well, that must be a thug. Yeah. But he said, if you see a white kid wearing a hoodie, you think, oh, maybe that's Mark Zuckerberg, because that same hoodie <laughs> is the uniform yeah. in Silicon Valley. Yeah. And so you know, he said, well, why do you think that is? I said, well, maybe it has to do with racism. And he said, well, maybe, or maybe it has to do with we just haven't produced enough black Mark Zuckerbergs. Why don't we do something to create more um, African Americans? Then, then when you see somebody with a hoodie on, you don't know if they're a Silicon Valley uh, a, a CEO or if they're a rapper. You know, let's let's get on that. And so, we um, just based on that bit of of insight, we 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 started this program, and it turned out that there were some very big obvious opportunities to make a difference. And um, so we've just been pushing very hard. And we're not the only group, by the way. You have many other groups. There's um, Code 2040. That's a great organization. Uh, 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 Code.org, uh, Black Girls Code, um, Hack the Hood, um, Hack the Hood, uh, Hidden Genius Project. So many are Code Now. So many organizations are also trying to solve this problem. Eventually, uh, one of us or all of us together will crack it. Well, the great thing, I, I guess, about it is that um, you need 1.4 million people, so um, yep. uh, everybody you train is going to be able to get a job and um, yep. and get and get work. That should that should be the case. I mean, that's our theory. You know, I also just want to say, you know, a Yes We Code is one initiative of the Dream Corps. Uh, Dream Corps Unlimited is an accelerator. It's a social justice accelerator. I think the only one in the country. Okay. You know, if you have a great, if you have a great uh, program, uh, I mean, a great idea for a, a technology business, you can take it to a, an incubator like a Y Combinator or to an accelerator. Um, but if you have an idea for social impact as opposed to for, for business impact, you don't have that many places to go. So we built Dream Core Unlimited as a social justice accelerator to take ideas like Yes We Code or Green for All that's getting solar panels to low-income communities or like um, Cut 50, which is working to reduce the prison population safely, um, and to give those uh, initiatives a real supercharge and a super boost to get out there and make a positive difference. And so... Uh, Dream Core Unlimited, uh, uh, it's called uh, The Dream Core, C-O-R-P-S, uh, .org, is a place where you can go and you can find out about Yes We Code, but also about our other initiatives as well. What, um, what help do you need in each of these? Well, what can people that are listening now, what can they do to help you in each of these various um, um, initiatives? Yeah. Well, I think the most important thing I would say is just go to our website, the Dream Corps, C-O-R-P-S, like Marine Corps or Peace Corps, thedreamcorps.org, and uh, see what we're doing. Uh, we obviously need donations. Um, this is not, um, I mean, we, we probably get more bang for buck, frankly, more bang for penny, nickel, and dime than any charity in the, in the country just because we do so, you know, we, we leverage so much. We have such powerful partnerships. Um, but we always need, need donations. We need people to sign up for our email list and to follow us on social media. And then as the year goes by, we'll let you know when there are opportunities to help us. But, um, you know, I tell you, just being on television um, is great. You know, you get a chance to be heard. Um, but 
I don't like just to talk about problems. I like to, to do something about problems. Sure. And it's really you know, the Dream Corps for me is a place where I get a chance to do something about the things that we talk about every day. And it turns out if you, if you put a positive solution out there, you'll be surprised. Republicans, Democrats, rich, poor, all colors of the rainbow, if you have a positive solution, so many people are willing to be helpful. And we've just, you know, I'm a very strong Democrat, as you know. But when it comes time to helping our children, I think you've got to put the party affiliation at the door and put the kids first. So the, I'm, a, I'm a great admirer of people like Zuckerberg, who has really put his money where his mouth is when it comes to education and, and a number of other things as well, with vast amounts of money. So are you getting... Um, the appropriate level of support for the, from the likes of the Facebooks and the Apples and the Googles and the like? Yeah, not, not yet. I think that, that will come this year. You know, so many people go to those folks with their hand out sure. and say, give me, give me, give me, you have so many billions. But the reality is if they gave money to everybody with their hand out, they wouldn't have those billions. So I, I think uh, we now have cracked the nut and we've got, a, I think, a set of solutions. Um, but you know what? Much more importantly than whether... Uh, an Apple or a Google wants to contribute. I think ordinary people have a lot more power than they know. If you like a cause like the ones we support or other causes, um, you you giving a small amount of money or however much money you can give or giving a a large amount and then bragging on social media, hey, here's a good, good cause, that good word of mouth network can sometimes produce, and you know, Kickstarter is famous for this, um, uh, sometimes that online network, or frankly, uh, Sen- then Senator Barack Obama, you know, really proved online networks of individuals who really care can sometimes outraise and outperform one single source of donations. And frankly, that's more resilient uh, than, those, than that, that one big check that may just come one time. So you know, we, we want to build a community of support. We think that world-changing solutions, like the ones we've been talking about, need world-class support. Um, and uh, that's really what the Dream Corps is all about. So you're looking to, uh, to train 100,000 youth. How do you select who participates? I mean, you know, there's so many underprivileged um, and undereducated people in the United States. How do you select which, which groups, which geographic locations, etc., get um, get selected to participate? Well, that's a great question. We started out with Oakland. Um, that's really where we've dug in. I have strong ties to Oakland. I've spent the better part of two, two decades working there. Um, but we also um, decided to, um, uh, you know, because Oakland is close to Silicon Valley, Oakland's only about half an hour, 45 sure. minutes yeah. in bad traffic away from Google, away from Facebook, away from Twitter. For, well, Twitter's actually San Francisco. Um, uh, and we thought, hey, well, here's you know, one of the most diverse, I think the most diverse country racially, culturally, ethnically, the most diverse city uh, in the United States is Oakland. And here it is half an hour from perhaps the least uh, diverse yeah. industry on the rise, Silicon Valley. Uh, we said, let's focus there. And so that's where you know, those, those first 20 apprentices um, that we, we will be running through the process this year um, are all from Oakland or live in Oakland. And, um, and so the process of identifying them was very, very interesting. We reached out through grassroots networks, preachers, teachers, elected officials, and others who, you know, said, you know who do you think uh, could 
could do a great job in this industry but just never had a chance. Who's good at math? Who's good at problem solving? Uh, who's hungry? Who's ambitious? Who, who has persistence and resilience? Who's got great character? And we were able through just basic uh, reach, you know, outreach to identify a very good first uh, cohort. And um, we were very proud of them. Is this a, a, an opportunity to get, um, uh, you're talking about in that, in that summary, people who are ambitious and have drive and, and whatever. Have you, is it an opportunity to get at risk and perhaps even um, people who have been in a little bit of trouble, albeit not that serious, um, is, it, is it an opportunity to get um, those people into the workforce as well? Well, we certainly uh, hope so. Uh, one of our initiatives, uh, hashtag Cut 50, is a campaign that cut the prison population in half over the next 10 years safely, smartly, using bipartisan solutions. Um, because we know that there are a lot of people who uh, you know, maybe made a mistake, did something dumb, uh, but didn't have enough money or to uh, get the right lawyer, or maybe they're from a neighborhood that's overly policed for people who make mistakes, unlike, for instance, college campuses where kids yep. do every drug in the world and none of them go to prison. Yeah, um, right. uh, uh, and, and there's a lot of genius that's being wasted there, and, and we believe everybody deserves a second chance and maybe even a third or fourth chance. And so um, uh, that's something that's an important value for us. At the same time, uh, you know, there's a standard. Uh, that has to be met uh, by anybody, whether they've you know been in trouble before or not, and um, and and we recognize that the the people who come through a yes we code program, uh, we we don't want them to be um, seen as passably okay. Yeah. We want to turn out people, folks say, hey, look, I want me some of that. Uh, give, give me more folks just like that. And frankly, there's a bumper crop of really really bright young people who are on Native American reservations, who are in inner cities, who are growing up in the barrios and the ghettos and the housing project, who are very, very creative and sure. wickedly and incredibly smart and entrepreneurial. And they just have not been given the opportunity to uh, connect with this in, in industry in any other way besides I'm going to download your app. They haven't been taught to upload their own app. Sure. And once you're uploading your own app, uh, you, know, you at least have a chance to... Um, to, to make your own your own way in this world, and we think that's very important. So, at the end of the day, uh, two questions. First, first question: How long do you think it will take to put a hundred thousand um, kids or young adults through your system? Oh, you know that's that's a number we build up to over the next nine years. Nine so, years, okay. you know, you, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. First, we're still in the laboratory phase trying to make sure that we've got a product that works in terms of an educational uh, uh, experience we can deliver at cost and on time to have our graduates and go out and be apprentices and do a good job. But once you've got, once you've got it figured out, we think we can ramp up pretty aggressively in the, the last part of, of this work. So what does success look like at the end of nine years? What does success look like for Yes We Code? It looks like uh, you know, 100,000 people who might have been working at McDonald's, might have been working at Starbucks, might have been working uh, at Walmart, might have been uh, working at a barber shop, uh, being able to earn seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year uh, coding um, you know, as, as entry-level uh, computer coders, and some number of them perhaps going from working for someone else and getting a job 
to starting their own venture and being able to give a job. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and that begins to change the face of technology. The, the thing about any entrepreneur is you tend to scratch your own itch. If you're a hunter, you probably figure out, hey, here's a, here's a better way uh, to meet the needs of hunters. Yes. Um, and you can come up with a whole business. Or if you're a ski enthusiast or whatever you are, well, if you're a, a female or if you're African-American, you're Native American, there might be a number of itches that you would like to scratch that could turn into a real business, but you don't have the technology background or the understanding of finance and technology to ever scratch that itch. What does that mean? That means millions and billions of dollars are left on the table. And, um, and so we think that by getting people who are from very unusual, very interesting backgrounds, uh, giving them the new literacy of being able to code computers, that we're going to see new products, new services, uh, new entrepreneurial opportunities. Um, and we have no idea. You could wind up with sure. <clears throat> four or five or six um, you know, female and, and minority uh, Mark Zuckerberg's by the end of the, uh, the next 10 years. Yeah, interesting that figures just released from Silicon Valley show that um, startups with female management are much, much more successful than, um, on the average, than uh, startups with male um, management, which is, which is interesting. No, no surprise at all. And part of it, of course, is, the, uh, is you know, how much better a woman has to be at everything to succeed yeah. in that environment. So you know, maybe as you grow the numbers, some of that differential might close a bit. But it definitely goes against the stereotype that women can't manage and they can't manage in those tough uh, startup environments. Uh, the, the numbers just blow that out the water. And so then you have to start asking your hiring committee uh, and, and your, 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 your hiring process, why do we keep generating the same old guys when apparently we've already scraped way below the cream with the guys and haven't even begun to, to, to get all the cream with the women? One other thing that um, comes to mind quickly is when you're, you're training these, um, these youth to, um, to code, so you're teaching them those skills, it would seem to me that um, one of the biggest problems would be lack of confidence. Their lack, it would seem to me that most inner city kids, and this is a big generalisation, would probably lack the confidence to think that they can go out there and do this stuff. So do you have sort of, I don't know what the word is, psychological or whatever the word is for that sort of training to give them confidence, build their self-esteem, uh, is, is that part of the process? It, it certainly is. You know, there's, there's a whole series of things that have to happen. Uh, you know, it's not just your, your aptitude, but your, your attitude uh, toward yourself and others that determines your altitude or how high you can go. Yeah. And so, um, uh, so there is a, a question of confidence and a question of role models and um, you know, how many people who look like me who came from where I came from are, are doing this. Um, and yet, what we see over and over again is that you know there really is a a, a, a tremendous uh, um, set of opportunities uh, for folks. Often, for instance, you talk about African Americans. Uh, you, you know, you say, "Hey, uh, what do you think your kid is going to be good at?" They'll often say, "Parents." You now, young parents will say, "Oh, um, you know, sports." Uh, you know, basketball or, or maybe rapping or something like that. Yeah. Why? Because you have a lot of young parents out there, the only models of success that they have seen for African Americans is in the entertainment industry, in sports, and that kind of thing. 
and you have to just show them the math and say, hold on one second now. If you got a million black kids out here all you know trying to get in the NBA, uh, the NBA only hires 15 kids a year. Um, and they only have about 420 people in the entire NBA. So you got a million black kids trying out for 15 jobs. Meanwhile, Silicon Valley says they got a million worker shortfall. If we're not careful, we're only going to have 15 little black nerds trying out for a million jobs. So why? why now, now that's that's a that's just a bad strategy. That's, that has nothing to do with racism. That's a, just a stupid strategy to have. Yes, you don't want to put maximum effort against minimum opportunity and minimum effort against maximum opportunity. If you do that, you're going to lose. And so, so this conversation with parents and preachers and teachers and other folks quit guiding young people down blind alleys is very, very important. And at the same time, it's important for these companies to recognize that it will take some adjustment on their part too. If everybody in your company all went to MIT or all went to Stanford or they all were the same kind of nerds that watched the same kind of TV shows and played the same kind of games, and then here comes a Latina lesbian from a community college, there might be a tendency to, uh, to look down on her or just to not know how to interact. Yeah. And so you've got to expect that there are going to be some blind spots in your company for just for hiring and retention that you should take very seriously. She might have some sore spots um, from her experience in life that you're going to have to be able to predict for. Um, and so it's gonna, it, Velcro takes two sides to stick. And so both sides have to do work but the payoff, I believe, will be tremendous when we begin to unlock the genius of every kind of American to solve every kind of problem. So where did your passion for helping disadvantaged in the green movement come from? What, what, was that part of your upbringing well, yeah. or did you grow into that? Uh, well, yeah, my, my dad uh, was born uh, in segregation and poverty in Memphis, Tennessee in 1944. Okay. Uh, people, forget, people forget uh, yeah, my yeah. parents were, were raised and, and married uh, under segregation in the United States. I was born in 68. I was the first person in my family. I'm nine generations of American. I'm the ninth generation American in my family. I'm the first one born with all my rights recognized by the government because, you know, the, the, the final bills weren't passed until 64, 65. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I am the first person in my family, nine generations, born with all my rights recognized. And... Um, uh, my dad, who grew up in segregation and poverty, actually um, you know, joined the military to get out of poverty, put himself through college, married the college president's daughter, my mother, and then put his uh, brother and cousin through college before he put me and my sister through college. So I come from a, a family that, uh, as soon as the opportunities opened up, really you know, went for it. But my dad also made sure that we knew um, how much work had gone into the civil rights movement, um, to open up those doors and impressed upon us, my mother did this as well, that you have to give back and um, that there's so many other people who, um, you know, if they had the same opportunity, could do, could do so much more. And so I just grew up with it. And um, I, my father's dead and gone now, but, uh, and my mother's you know, quite up in years. But, uh, I, but I, I, I feel uh, a debt and an obligation to, uh, solve some of these problems in my century that my dad's generation solved in his century. Was your time at the White House seriously frustrating because 
it seems to me that one of the biggest inhibitors to any sort of progress is the politicians that we put in Washington. So did you find your time at the White House really frustrating, that it was difficult to get things done, that there just seemed to be walls built every time you tried any initiatives? Well, no. I mean, I, we, I was there uh, at the very, very beginning where uh, we had, uh, the Democrats had 60 votes in the Senate. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi was running the House. Yeah. Uh, Barack Obama, President Obama was the you know, most uh, exciting and, and, and famous and beloved person on earth. And we were, were coming in cleaning up a very big mess that uh, George sure. W. Bush had left behind. Sure. So, um, you know, we, so we, you know, I came in in a very particular moment. And of course, it's all, there's a lot of bureaucracy and there's a lot to try to sort out, but we had the wind at our backs, or at least so we thought. And in fact, it was because we were making so much progress that you know, the administration came under so much uh, heavy fire and opposition. Um, and so, uh, but I'm very, very proud. You know, I was a part of the whole green jobs uh, initiative that the president ran on. And, um, you know, here we are, and uh, people don't talk about green jobs so much. It's not so much of a sexy buzzword. But the solar industry is growing at 10 times the rate of anything else in the economy. There are 80,000 coal miners in America, and God bless them. They risk risk their lives every day to keep the lights turned on for the rest of us. But there's 170,000 solar workers and another 150,000 wind energy workers. So you already have almost double the number of clean energy workers that you have, coal miners, and we're just getting started. And so this president was ahead of his time on that. I think this initiative was ahead of its time from a policy point of view, but from an economics point of view, every single thing that he said um, is coming to pass, not just here but around the world, and we're just getting started. That's great. Now, last year, late last year, you um, won the Global Innovator Award at the star-studded EMA event. That's the Environmental Media Awards, which I was involved with about 25 years ago. Um, what does an award like that mean to you? Well, you know, it means a lot. First of all, I got to meet Gwyneth Paltrow and <laughs> a bunch of a bunch of serious celebrities. Got my selfie uh, fix uh, taken care of. Uh, that was exciting. Um, but also, I'm going to be on a phone call later today with the Environmental uh, Media Association and, and uh, uh, talking about ways to continue to innovate when it comes to ecological solutions that are good for the planet, but also good for people's pocketbook, good for um, people's neighborhoods. Uh, you know, the, the thing I think we forget in all the back and forth about climate and, and these climate deniers, none of whom, by the way, are in the Pentagon, um, the Pentagon knows you know, for sure that climate disruption was behind a lot of the destabilization in Syria yeah. and will be responsible for a lot of the destabilization in, in Asia. And uh, they're all over it. There's not one model, one map in the, in the Pentagon in terms of scenario projection that doesn't bake in uh, human-caused uh, climate disruption. Um, but that said, um, when, once you get finished with all the back and forth about, you know, you, we don't believe you, I'm a climate denier, you're just making this up. At the end of the day, on the other side of the debate, there's just a bunch of really great technologies and jobs and and products (laughs) that can uh, do what needs to be done in a cleaner and greener and a healthier way. And um, and, and quietly around the edges while nobody's looking, those products are beginning to take off. And solar and wind are, are two of the big ones. Yeah. Man, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Um, 
Now, you can learn more about Van at vanjones.net, or if you want to know what he looks like, go on to CNN at almost any hour of the day, and there he is. Um, if you want to find out more about the initiatives, uh, the green initiatives, the Yes We Code initiative, where should they go to look for that, Van? Well, uh, the Dream Corps, C-O-R-P-S, like Marine Corps or Peace Corps, the Dream core.org is a great place to start because that can take you to yeswecode.org that can take you to uh, cut50.org and it can also take you to greenforall.org and, um, and, and those are the three initiatives that we're running we believe in 21st century jobs not jails for struggling communities and um, we're looking for uh, any support and help we can get to deliver on that mission thanks mate I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. Again, I apologize for my voice. It's been bad for about three weeks now, but I am definitely getting better. On Thursday, a couple of days from now, I'm giving a presentation to a large business group in San Dimas, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. So if you're attending, I look forward to meeting with you. Come up and say hello, and uh, I look forward to it. In this segment of the show, we bring you news, and we often address emails from our listeners around the world. You know, I think it's incredible, no matter where in the world that I speak, whether it be Moscow or, or Japan or Iran or um, in Kansas, people have exactly the same question. So despite different cultures and different businesses, um, everybody that's an entrepreneur or runs a business has the same issues. So during the week, I received an email from Alan Marshall of Sulcom. I think it's called Sulcom. In England, and Alan writes, Dear Bob, I bought a copy of your book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, and I really enjoyed it. There is a different language used in marketing. I want to make sure that I really get what you're talking about. A few programs ago, you referred to above-the-line advertising. What exactly does that mean? Alan, thanks for your email. Um, In business communications, above the line, through the line, and below the line, are advertising techniques. Above the line, that's where you're targeting to a mass audience through mass media, TV, radio, movies, print, um, web banner, search engines, etc. usually used for brand awareness. Below the line is a non-media communication such as direct mail, email, print. Um, it's an incentive to purchase, to drive sales. Through the line is a strategy using both above the line and below the line strategies. So, Alan, I hope that helps. Um, We here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show are all about helping 
small business to be more successful and more profitable and get a better understanding of what business and marketing is about. Um, I thought this week, because I had a long interview segment, because I thought it was really interesting, he, he's one hell of a cool guy, Van, and we're pleased to be working with him um, on the Yes We Code project through uh, the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management. So I thought I'd include a segment on great business quotes. I did it on one of my earlier shows years ago. It was a great hit, so I thought I'd give it another go. So here goes one of my all-time favourites. This is by Henry Ford. A business absolutely devoted to service will only have one worry when it comes to profit. It'll be embarrassingly large. Thomas Jefferson said, every generation needs a new revolution. Well, boy, we're certainly in the middle of a new revolution now. And Peter Drucker, one of business's wise men, said, the greatest danger in times of turbulence is not the turbulence. The biggest danger is to act with yesterday's logic. And another gem is from George Bernard Shaw. Progress is impossible without change. Those who cannot change their minds will not change anything. John Paul Getty also said, in times of rapid change, experience is your worst enemy. I think that's great. The more experience you had, the more set in ways you are, the less less, um, you're likely to change and the more do-do you're likely to get in. So we're certainly in a time of rapid change, so take heed. You've got to change with it. You've got to anticipate it, embrace it, go with it. Don't resist it. Don't forget, if you've got a particular guest you'd like me to interview or a particular topic you'd like me to address, please email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. And I'll be with you at the same time next week, no matter where you are in the world. To all of you that have joined the American Institute for Sales Marketing Management, where I'm fortunate enough to be honorary president for 2016, I also thank you. And in the meanwhile, remember that if you're not really pushing the envelope, if you're not living right on the edge, then get out of the way because you're taking up way too much space. Let somebody that wants to go charging ahead, charge through. It's also easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Last week, I promoted that I would have Nolan Bushnell, a friend of mine, the man who created Atari, man who gave Steve Jobs his first job and and was a close friend and mentor until Steve's death on the show this week. Well, he's on next week. So next week, Nolan Bushnell, the man who created Atari and mentored Steve Jobs, hoping for a great interview. See you next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.